say, God, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the family of God. Lord, for um, being a part of something, Lord, that is greater than ourselves. Lord, that you have called us to do kingdom work, to be a part of the kingdom with you, that we are called in the Bible, we're called co-heirs with Jesus. That Jesus, as you have called us to follow you, that you are working in the kingdom, and while we're on the earth, you have called us to advance the kingdom, spread the gospel, knowing, Lord, that there is more to this life than just this life. So, Lord, thank you for calling us. Thank you for setting us apart. Thank you for, Lord, reaching down in our brokenness and shame and rescuing us. Thank you for seeing beyond our sinfulness and reaching to our hearts and dying for us and giving us life and including your love by what you did on the cross. And then not only that, you call us to be a taker in the kingdom of God and, and a participant. And so, Lord, as we continue to move through this series, and that we need to ask that you continue to speak to us, that you will bring us Lord, more than head knowledge, God, my heart is not that we just get a bunch of information, but Lord, things are part of God's form. That we become more like Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. It is a privilege, it's a privilege to be a part of the church, the body of God. And I said this last week, but you know, when we really focus on the reality of eternity, it does something to your heart. And it is very difficult for us to get our, 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 our heads around the idea that this life isn't all there is. You know, whenever I, uh, and, and we had uh, Jim Dolan, who was a long-term member, a real servant of God, a man of God, and you hear somebody, um, you know, passing away, and, and, and I met with Becky this week, and she said literally, you know, the way it happened was he was just here one second, and then he's with the Lord next. And that quickly, you are here. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord when we follow Jesus Christ. When we die from this life, we are with the Lord. And for us to somehow, you know, get our heads around that, that, uh, that, that Jim has begun his eternal work. And it's real. It is real. It, it, we, will, we will leave this life at some point and we will be with the Lord. We will stand before God and we will live eternally. There is a reality to that. And then while we're on this earth, we are called to make the most of the opportunities. We are called as stewards, as I said earlier, to advance the kingdom, to, um, to, to be who He has called us to be. And I don't want to waste my time. I want to be on mission with Him. And so today, it's been, um, interesting enough that where we're going today um, in this idea of, 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 you know, being... Having church is being committed, being connected. We're in this year's Psalm 52. If you have not been with us up until this point, this series, uh, the inspiration for the series, comes out of the book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, Nehemiah is a the guy that lived in Israel's history. It's an Old Testament book. We have this 
man who was working for a foreign king, the people of Israel were scattered about because of sinfulness and disobedience. God said, I have a plan for your life, Israel. If you do it my way, you will be blessed. If you go your own way, you're going to run into some really hard consequences of life. And one of those consequences is you will be spread, you will be, um, you will be captured, you will be sent into exile. And uh, the prophets, that's why you know, we have the prophets calling to the people of Israel. God would speak to the prophets back in the Old Testament. Thank God we have Jesus now. We don't need someone to go on behalf of us. We have access to the Father now through Jesus. And so for the prophets would say, this to the Israelites, so they would be in, in sinfulness, and they would say, come back to God. Do it His way. He has a plan for you. He has good for you. But if you continue to go, and God said, you, you know, there, there will be consequences. And at this time in Israel, especially in the book of Nehemiah, we have them in exile. But there's a few that are coming back, and God promises, I'm going to bring you back to Israel, to Jerusalem. And so there are a few that have been coming back, and then the word goes to Nehemiah from one of his brothers and says that we, some of us are back into the walls, our symbol of strength, this great wall that was once built, and they all looked and they were celebrating when it was first built, and they said, look what God has done. And now the wall is in shambles, it's been burnt, it's destroyed, and word gets back to him that he is great, that he's, he's like, you know, I mean, he's beside himself with grief. It's that he goes into a period of mourning and weeping. But interestingly enough, and that's where we began, is that he starts in a place of prayer and he begins to declare who God is. God, you are awesome and you are full of unfailing love. Then he begins to repent. God, forgive us. I know why the walls are torn down. He doesn't shake his fist at God. Why did you get us into this mess? He doesn't just pray this. Christ in prayer, God, get us out of this and we'll serve you forever. He says, God, you are good and it's on us. We understand, we recognize, forgive us, forgive me, forgive us for the sins of rebelling against you and going our own way. And we recognize that we have gone our own way and now we've the consequences. And then he goes into a time of prayer where um, we see him before the king, and, uh, and, and, he's, and of course he's sad because of the news, and we're going to pick that up today, but he prays, and the Lord begins to give him strategies to go back and to rebuild the wall. And this whole story, I believe, you know, this real story in the Old Testament is a prophetic picture of the church. That we see a kingdom work that needs to be done. We see um, walls that are torn down, if you will, in our own hearts and how much we need Jesus to redeem and rebuild us. And once we have been rescued by our Savior, we are then called to reach out to others and to see their hearts be redeemed and rebuilt in the name of Jesus. There's a mission that we are called to do. And so we pick up this story where Nehemiah begins to mobilize the people, but our key passage, I'm going to go to the next screen. This is the good news part of it. I love this. It says, on October 7th, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. That's the name of the, uh, the series called 52. That because they did what they were called to do, and they didn't do it alone, God helped them, and we're going to see that more and more as we go on, that God didn't just lead them to the work. He actually um, protected them, gave them strength. They did their part. He did his part. And miraculously, they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. It was a real amazing work. 
And that's the good news. This is, this is what we can keep our eyes on is when we're doing what we're called to do. And God does what He does through the power of His Spirit. We can begin to see the kingdom of God spread. We can begin to see lives changed and transformed because that's why the church exists. To see lives transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. And so, again, this real story in Israel history points us to a greater reality the work of the kingdom, the advancement of the gospel. And as it was at that time, there was a mission and vision to accomplish. God has called us to His vision and mission to advance the kingdom and spread the gospel around us. And so, we are called to be a part of His mission. Amen? Active, participating in the game. We're called to be in the game, not on the sidelines. It's like somebody says, I want to be, I want to be a participant, but I, I want to play in the game. I want to be on the team, but I don't actually want to be in the game. Most people, and I know that there are bench warmers. I get, I get that. Most people don't like that position. They want to be in the game. I'm on the team because I want to be in the game. And if you want a, another analogy, it's, it's, it's like it's, it's an orchestra, a symphony. One of those little classified things that you may not know about me, I'm going to give you right now. I love classical music. Um, it, it just, there's something powerful about it when they were, I mean, there's just there's such emotion around you. You listen to a symphony and these complex movements. And when you hear a symphony orchestra playing, it's all of these instruments. You know, and you guys have seen it, you've been there, and you hear all of these instruments doing their part, and it brings this symphony alive, but every part is important. Now me, I don't have a trained ear, I just like listening to it. I, I like to say I'm a musician, I'm not, I'm just a fan of music. But you know, a conductor, a master conductor, they will know, especially when they have this piece and they've been pressing, they will know if an instrument is absent. Because every instrument brings something to the, to, to the plate. They bring something to this that, that makes it come alive. And there are no parts that say, well, we can do without that. No, when it was originally written, it was the oboe played this part, even the triangle. Even the, the symbols. They may not do it, but every once in a while, but you know, you can just feel the build up. You know, and they may not do it a lot, but it is powerful when they do it, and if they don't do it, something's missing. And it's like saying, I want to be a part of the symphony, but I don't actually want to play the instrument. We are called to be participators in the kingdom of God. We're not called to say, I want to be in, but I'm not going to play the instrument. I'm not, I, I, I want to play the silent, and I'm content just to watch it happen. You know, there are no words in the Bible, in the New Testament, as when people would become followers of Jesus to be an inactive participant, an inactive attender. We've seen that more in the Western world because of preference or whatever and dizziness and things can, whatever can get in the way of us being a part of a vision and mission. And so sometimes we're just content to be an attender. There's nothing in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament church that would say, when you're a follower of Jesus, you're an inactive attender and we're so glad that you are that. I mean, there's no words. Paul, when he's writing to the church, he's, he's talking about every part is so essential and important. 
And even back in those days, they knew what they were signing up for, if you will. They, they knew that when they became a follower of Jesus, a lot of them, they knew it was a death sentence. Literally. Now, Jesus says when you follow him, it says that, that you, you, you're, you're giving up your life. And we understand that take up your cross. And there's this figurative, symbolic thing of saying, my life is not my own. It belongs to Jesus now. But they understood it to a greater degree that when we did this, we were signing our death certificate, because a lot of them were persecuted and rounded up and, and executed. But they were all in. When the church exploded in Acts, you had groups meeting in homes, and everyone had this and had a had a place, and there was there was discipleship going on. There was encouragement and talking with these spiritual gifts, and some of them are more practical, but helping, serving, encouraging, giving, teaching, mentoring, and it was all this stuff was going on, and it says the church was growing like wildfire, and these people were stepping in and said, we want to go all in for Jesus, and when they would go all in, they didn't say, well, now that I'm all in, we're just content to be an inactive offender. There were no words for that. You were either a follower doing that, or you weren't. There, there was just no middle ground there. And then as followers of Jesus, what we have done is we recognize that He has rescued us. We recognize our own brokenness and our need of Him. And now because of what He has done in us, it flows out of us and we want to share that with others. We want to be a part. We want to be the attender. I want to not just sit there with the instrument in my hand. I want to play it. I want to be in the game. I want to do what He's called me to do. I want to redeem the time that when I stand before Him, He says, well done, good and faithful servant, steward. You did what I called you to do. And that's why the church exists. We belong to God's kingdom. He has called us to mission and vision to speak and stay the law of Jesus. Remember what He ministered to Zacchaeus in this tax collector that came to know the Lord. And Jesus makes this proclamation of why came to seek and save the lost. He makes this declaration of his mission of came to seek and save the lost, to transform lives for eternity. And we're in that business with him. To see lives transformed by the power of Jesus that not only are they saved and, like, and their sins are forgiven, but their whole eternity is now different. They were going into eternal destruction. Now they are going toward eternal life. That's huge. That kind of makes me not want to just be an inactive attendant anymore when lives are at risk. So we're going to pick up the story in Nehemiah 2. This is a little bit long in the reading, but it gives us context to where we're going to be going. And so let's pick it up. This is Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, and I read some of this last week, he said, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. He would say, this guy was just, he's just an ordinary guy. But he had, there, there was a mission that God was going to call him to. I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. You know, he had just gotten word that the walls of Jerusalem were torn down and burned. So the king asked me, why did your face look so sad when you were not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, you know, rightly so. When you went before a king, you were very careful what you said. 
But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my faith not be set when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and escapes from destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Notice that Nehemiah doesn't just spout off what he wants. He said, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. So just quietly, Lord, give me wisdom. And this is when I talked about prayer over the last couple weeks, and we talked about what prayer is, and prayer is to get the mind and the heart of God. And we pray that God would have a mini answer to King. And so the Holy Spirit begins to give him vision and mission. And then he says, it's a complete King. And if the servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the fancy ladies? So now he's asking for favor. He's asking, Lord, I want favor. And so now, now his act gets a little bit big. And so he's asking now for. I have letters to the government to try to pray. They say, hey, you ask me what I want, I'm going to tell you. So they will provide for me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asa, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple. So he's asking for resources. And for the resident I will, I will occupy. Because the gracious hand of my God was on me, that's a powerful passage. The king granted me the request, so I went to the governors of Transparent and gave them the king's letters. It's not in our authority that we walk, we walk with his authority. And so we take these letters from the king and he says, I'm not just saying this, the king has said it. And when we go on behalf, Jesus said, All authority belongs to him. Now go and make disciples, right? He said, You've got a letter from the king. All authority has been given to me. Now, you guys go and make disciples of all nations. I've given you the king's letter. You have a letter for the word of God, and now go. You are a mission. The king also sent my army officers in Calvary with me. And then here's, here's what we're going to get into in a couple weeks. Sambalat. When Sambalat, the Hornet, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had promoted the welfare of the Israelites. The enemy's not happy when the vision and mission are being accomplished. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. This is very powerful right here. It says, I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well, the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down in its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate, the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mouth to get through, so I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as as yet I had nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the grace of the God that was on me, what the king had said to me. Then they replied, Let's start building. Let's get to work. And so they began the good work. But when Sambalat the Hornet, Tobiah the Ammonite, Fiscal, and Gethin the Arab heard about it, they mocked and they ridiculed us. 
What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So this powerful thing, and that gives you a little context to you. If you can see the vision and mission God had called them to, the walls were torn down, and, and, and he began to go and look out what was happening. The enemy is not happy. I guarantee you guys, and we're going to get into this more later, but when you are doing what God has called you to do, the enemy is not going to be happy about it. He will fight you. But then Nehemiah gives him the vision mission. He gets the people and he says, this is what God's called us to. And then they said, Let's, we're with you. We are with you. And there is unity. We're going to talk about that too. But they have said, let us start rebuilding. They, they began the good work. So God gives strategy. He gives provision to accomplish the mission. And so then he inspects, and there's something powerful about that. He begins to go look around and see what's going on. And see, God has called each of us to be a part of his mission of advancing the kingdom, spreading the gospel of Jesus to the lives around us. And as followers of Jesus, we should keep our eyes open. Remember what Jesus said about the harvest field? He said, open your eyes, wake up and open your eyes and look. The harvest is ripe. People need Jesus. All around you, you just have to open your eyes. And as Nehemiah went and inspected and he's looking around, we need to live as a part of the kingdom of God, that we are not just going about our day. If we belong to Him, my day is not my own. We go with our eyes open to the vision and mission and say, Lord, let me see what you're doing. Let me see a life that you want me to encourage today. Let me hear your voice. Let me look around and keep my eyes open to the harvest field and inspect what you might be doing and what you might be calling me to. Lives God wants to touch through us, ministries that He wants us to be involved with. Paul says this think of others before you think of yourself. So you can tend to be very self focused, especially in our culture. I was amazed when, um, when and I've shared stories about this, but um, some years ago I got to go to Guyana, South America, third world country, and the mission trip. Some of you guys have had privilege to do that. It's an amazing experience. But one of the things that we got to do is we got to go through this one, it was a community of little, just basically little structures that they would call homes, but it was, you know, whatever they could nail together, you know, to get, uh, you know, cardboard, a piece of, uh, a spray piece of wood, and they would just put something together. There was one that was maybe a tenth of cube of a family of five living in there. You know, and here's their perspective on the, on that, uh, on that little, Unit on, on the side that the, the man had spray painted God's gift. Because at one time they had nothing. And the kids would rush to get, uh, up to you, and you know, when you're handing, we had little candy, little food things, and you hand it to them, and you know what? Immediately the Americans are thinking, make sure you share. You didn't even have to say it. They begin to take it, they would take five, and they would begin to start handing it out. It was so convicting. Because we were about to, you know, you know, we were about to say, you know, make sure, you know, because you know, you're thinking they're going to record it and run off. And they turn around and they make sure little kids, and it's kids that are 8, 9, 10 years old, and they understand the vision and mission of the gospel. It's not just for me, it's for others. I don't get just to get, I get to give. 
But our culture feeds self-focused and self-absorbed. But we need to look where the needs that we can meet, who are the lives we can touch. I love Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.22. He says, I become all things to all men that I might what? Win them to Christ. So he gets, he, he gets the vision and mission of Jesus saying, Jesus said, I can't just suit and save the lost. And Paul says, I'll become all things to all people. That, that didn't make me compromise. But he's got a common ground with everyone that he came in contact with. He said, to the Jews, I can I understand the Jewish side and I can kind of connect with them on that level. Why to win in the Christ? To the Gentiles, I do this and I connect with people but my eyes are open to see what God is doing and who, uh, what life He might want me to touch. Why? To win them to Christ to see that they come to know Jesus. Now, we don't use them for this as a project, people. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't become friends with people just to see if they will come to Christ. Be friends with them because you love them. Now, the ultimate spiritual goal, we want everyone to come to know Christ, but don't treat them like a project. Treat them with dignity and love and grace. Because the church ultimately is a hospital for the sick, not a country club for members only. God forbid. That's why a lot of churches have gone into the ground, is because it became a country club with members only, and we keep everybody out. We're going to do our own little thing, and, own, and we don't care about other people. We care about us and ourselves. And don't change this, and don't change that. We're going to keep it right here. And Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might win them to Jesus. Because ultimately, it's a short time on this earth. We're here temporarily. Live for eternal things. And know that if we're following Jesus and we're all, you know, Jesus said to the disciples, you know, come and follow me. And when you hear that word, follow me, his invitation to all of us, and if we're following, that means he's leading. And how many of us have said, I'll follow you, and then we step out in front of him and we begin to take lead? I'll follow you just for a minute, but now you're going to follow me and you're going to do what I tell you to do. If he's leading, what is he leading us to? He's going to lead us to, instead of being self-centered, it would be unselfish. Instead of taking things from my life only and hoarding things from my life only, we will not live to this life and we will begin to give and we will begin to serve and we will begin to love. Because that's his heart. And ultimately he modeled it. He laid his life down for others. So he invites us to do the same thing. To love people, to serve them, to reach them. As Paul said that we are called ambassadors of Christ, that we're ministers of reconciliation, we're calling people back to God. Heard a guy say this when he said, We have been radically rescued. And so let's be a part of radically rescuing others. Jesus, on the greatest rescue mission of all time, left heaven came down here, became one of us, lived a sinless life, and then they tormented him, persecuted him, crucified him, beat him beyond recognition because he loved you that much. And I know in our culture, you know, Christianity is a lot of said, you know, well, I'm not religious, and, and, and you start mentioning Jesus, people get uncomfortable, and and, and, and there's all kinds of things in our culture that's about Christianity. But when we boil it down to the authenticity, and that's what I shared earlier, when I was 19, I wanted to find out authentically, Jesus, who are you? And he said, I want to cross and tell him I love you. Don't lose the significance and power of that. 
We've been radically rescued. He, he radically rescued us. And He's called us to be a part of radically rescuing others. And in the story, you notice that there was resistance. And I want to close with this thought. I'm going to pick this up next week. You know, the, the NIV says that they were that the enemies of, of, of Israel were disturbed that people would come in for the welfare of the Israelites, and they were not happy. And then, and then at the end of this chapter, we read that they had, they, they had begun to um, mock them and ridicule them. They said, "You know, you are rebelling against the king," and they were trying to sow seeds of doubt and, and sow seeds of discord and, and disunity and. They were already, I mean, they hadn't even started the work yet. It was they began, they would say, we're, we're ready, let's get to work, let's do it. We surrendered our, our lives to the Lord, we're going to do what He's called us to do. And immediately the enemy comes swooping in and tries to discourage and tries to ridicule and mock and lie. And, and, and you're going to see them try other things later. We're going to get into that in the spiritual warfare. And I'm going to spend a lot more time on that in a couple weeks. Because we're in a battle. I don't want to, you know, I don't say that to bring glory or a lot of attention to the enemy because greater is he that is in us and he is in the world. We are more than conquerors. That's more than just words. We are more than conquerors when we belong to Jesus. We don't have to live in fear of what the enemy does. We have to live in the reality that he's at work, Paul said. Pay attention. He's there. But don't live in fear. But a lot of us, we listen to the lies of the enemy, the shame, the condemnation, and we can, if we listen to the enemy, it can get us to stop doing what God has called us to do, and we begin to get back into the old patterns, the old habits of life. Because when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you repent of your sins, you put your hope, your trust in Him, the enemy's not going to just sit back and be happy about it. He's going to do whatever He can do to distract you, get you away from God's purpose for your life, and get you so discouraged and hopeless, and ultimately that you give up and you go back into your old life and your old way of doing things. Recognize that He's at work. Recognize when you are in a day-to-day struggle and you find yourself in those moments, you know, and, 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 and again, I think it's just moments, not like they were always living under the oppression of the enemy. We are to live victoriously above that. But there are times when you, you know, you're having one of those days. You know what I'm talking about. One of those weeks. Some of us, one of those months. Hoping it doesn't trickle beyond that. But it's heaviness. It's discouragement. Maybe it's depression. It's something that you're like, what is going on? And that is where the enemy will try to come in and, and, and try to bring into your mind all kinds of weird twisted up things about who God is and what's going on and you're all alone and people are against you, they hate you and the church doesn't like you anymore and, 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 and you will have, have all kinds of things. You need to recognize and know that it's untrue. I am a child of God. I am more than a conqueror. I am an overcomer by the blood of Jesus to not have to live there. And I am on mission and, and, and He has a vision and mission and purpose for my life. That you could say is, Paul, you were bought with a price. That's how much Jesus values you, that He laid in His life, His blood. What, what's His life worth to you? What's His sacrifice worth to you? When you look at the cross and you see what Jesus went through, so you were bought with a price. So what, what price tag can you put on a human life? 
you think of the people that you love that are around you, your children, your spouse. What, what price tag can you put on them? And now take the Son of God. Says this, this is how much you are valuable to me. You were bought with a cross. Know that. That Jesus loves you. Keep going and don't give up again. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. More of that later. Slow down. Get excited about that. Oh, here we go. Thought I was going to have to yell at you guys for a minute. Back in the old days, man. No magic story. But I titled this today, um, Purpose Committed Connected. And we're going to get, again, a little more in-depth next week into what Paul talks about in First Corinthians and um, but I want to encourage you guys today, as we close, you were created for a purpose. And just like in Nehemiah chapter 3, and I love that, how it unfolds today, begin the good work. And in Nehemiah 3, we start reading these names. And I encourage you sometimes just to go in there and just read it. It, 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 you know, it, it may or may not be exciting to you, but what excites me every time I read that, now, read these names that you wouldn't normally hear. You didn't hear about them in Sunday school. You know, they're not, they're, you know, you're David and Samson and Moses and Ruth. And, and then you have these names. And why would God list those names? Because He's saying every part is essentially important. It's not just the preacher that's up front that's the most important part of the church. If you think that, please get that out of your mind. Every part is essential. You were created with a purpose that God has for you. I am convinced of that. And you read through these names, and you'll just see these names, and they, they might be random names, but God put them in the scripture for a, a reason. He said there was purpose in their lives. And, it, and he would, and Nehemiah said, okay, you guys, this, this area, you guys are in charge of this part of the wall. Okay, and then you guys right here, you're, you're in charge of this part of the law. He just was set them by families, and you see these names, and you guys, and they would build. And they got to work, and none of them said, well, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be an attender, but not in the game. And so I'm going to look back, and I'm just going to, I'm going to be sitting over here. I'm with you guys, but I'm just going to be in my lawn chair over here. You guys are doing really good. You talk for me once in a while. Or I will work on Sundays only. If your toes are getting stepped on, maybe God's speaking to you, I don't know. But they got to work, and you hear these names. Names that we would not recognize, but God says, I recognize them, and they're important. Be encouraged when you read those names. Because then you can fast forward to what God is calling us to the lives that He's called us to talk to you. So you can put your name in God's name. I've called your family. I've called you to be a part of this squad, to, to be a part of the repairing this squad, to be a part of this part of the kingdom and the vision of the church, to be a part of following Jesus and that we get to work. And there's one translation, there's a, um, 
there's a guy named Baruch in there. And I love that this says this in one of the translations it says, and Baruch zealously did his work on the wall. That, Noah, you know, and they were all excited about the work, but evidently, Nehemiah, in the, you know, authoring this book, as he was going through and looking at people, he, he, he was drawn to that guy. Everybody else, he said, people were doing the, the work of the Lord, and he said, and Baruch's policy. That, this guy was like thrilled. He was like Buddy the Elf at Christmas Eve. I mean, this guy, he is, this joy on him, he is excited. Look at what we get to do. Look at what we get to be a part of. We are history makers. Whether people write about us in the future or not, God has called us to do this. Look at what we get to be a part of. It's a vision and mission that's so much bigger than us. And Nehemiah said, that guy is jealous, and I love his attitude his heart. God give us boats in the church. Jealously, excitedly, buddy the elf working on that wall. If you guys haven't seen elf, you need to see that. You know what I'm talking about. But you were called to be, you were called to be, you were called to be committed with commitment to be a part and you are called to be connected, not on your own, isolated away. That's God's calling for your life. And I encourage you to challenge you in a new way that we go from here to being God. In a new way, I'm making a commitment to the purposes. I'm making a connection to the body of Christ. And I want to walk in everything that you have to me. I want to fulfill God's plan for my life. Will you stand with me? Maybe the first time that, that you've been prayed over that God would give us a spirit of buddy the elf. I have no idea if that's ever happened before. Jesus, we love you, we adore you, we honor you, we bless you, you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are working, Lord. And Jesus, as you went up, as interesting as he ascended, he sent the Spirit to continue the work that he called, that he started. The work of laying down our lives, the work of serving, the work of loving, the work of advancing the kingdom of God while it's still day. The, the, the Bible says while it's still day, get to work. That Lord, you call this according to your purpose. Right? And Lord, it's not just our purpose, it's the purposes of God for our lives that you have offered. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would believe that you have a plan and a purpose for us. You call us to be connected and committed. I pray, God, that in new ways today, we would zealously do the work of the kingdom. Lord, that we would really believe that you created us for the purpose, that we would understand you were bothered by us, we would see the cross as, as your display of love for us. And that, Lord, we would go out and do what you called us to do as followers of Jesus, loving you, serving you, reaching out to others. And Lord, when the enemy comes in, God, help us to recognize it, help us not to live in fear, but Lord, help us to declare who we are in Jesus, that we are more than conquerors. We are overcome by the name and by the power of Jesus. But we love you today. We honor you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an awesome